Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord this morning. I'm going to pray just once again and ask him to teach us and lead us today. Heavenly Father, we give you glory for the day you have made today. You are a sovereign God in control of all things. And so, Lord, you have brought each and every one of us here to this place this morning to hear your word, specifically this word. And so we just ask today that you would be our teacher. We ask that you would give us the humility to come before you, the almighty God, and be willing to confess that you might be wiser than we are. To confess that you might be more loving than we are. And God, we ask that you would teach us today. For those here this morning that need encouragement, would you encourage our hearts? For those here this morning that need the conviction of your Holy Spirit to be drawn back to you, Lord, would you do that today? We ask that you would lift Jesus up before us, that we might behold him, worship him, and leave here grateful for the Savior that we have in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever had the experience before of, of finding out something incredible, some piece of good news, and you get that moment of knowing the good news before someone else does, right? And you get that joy of going to share it with them. You ever had this experience? Or you know, like, there's just, you can't quite keep it inside, but it's like, you know that what you're about to tell this person is going to change their life. And it's like, for that sweet little moment, it's like the greatest feeling ever of like, I know something and I'm about to tell you and it's going to rock your world and it's going to change you forever. I remember having this experience uh, with, my, with my wife, with Jackie, when she was first pregnant and we got to tell our parents that we were pregnant. It was like this piece of, of joy and good news that we knew and they didn't know and we planned it all out and it did not disappoint. It was like the greatest reaction, screaming, tears, bear hugs. It was just like the, the, the opportunity to share good news with someone was so fun. And what made it so great is knowing that because this news is so good, it's, gonna, it's literally going to change their lives for the rest of their lives. That's what brought so much joy to us as we got to share this. 
And in the city of Corinth, there was a similar thing that happened when Paul brought the good news of Jesus to these people. He brought this news that was so heavy, so important, so glorious that he knew it would change their lives when they heard it. That when they heard this good news, it it would change everything about them. And it did. When he brought the gospel to this city, people believed and their whole lives completely changed. But then Paul left and something started to happen to these people. That message that first changed their lives and that message that they were first so grateful for started to kind of lose its luster. They kind of started to fall back into old ways of thinking, old ways of living and old ways of doing, right? We've been talking about this as we've been going through this book together. These people who were now Christians, but now they started to kind of fall back to the way they used to live before they were Christians. They started pursuing worldly wisdom. They started competing for status with one another. They started judging each other using old Corinthian standards and values, comparing themselves to one another. And all throughout this letter, Paul's doing the same thing over and over. He's identifying a problem and he's bringing that same old gospel message to them once again. Because he knows that that same message that first changed them, if they will wrap their arms around that same message again, that same good news, it will continue to change them. It will continue to transform the way that they live and the way that they think. They will view everything differently. And so as we come to this section in chapter two, Paul is reminding the Corinthians and also reminding us that this message of the gospel was not just something they figured out. It was something that God revealed to them. He revealed it to them. This is kind of one of the big emphasis of Paul in this section is that God revealed the gospel to you. Why is that important? Why does he emphasize that? What what does that have to do with how they're living and how they're thinking? Well, he wants to remind them that none of you could have ever understood this message of Jesus coming to earth to save you from your sins unless God showed it to you. Look at what he says in verse seven. Here's what he calls it. He calls it a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Meaning there was something that God had that was hidden from you, a mystery, and you couldn't know it unless he revealed it to you, unless he showed it to you. And Paul's saying, that's exactly what happened with this message. You didn't didn't understand it. You didn't understand the glory of it. You didn't understand the good news of what it was until God showed it to you. He wants these people to remember this. He says, among the mature, we impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but it's a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Says this this message that God has revealed to you Christians in in Corinth is, is a wisdom that no one could understand, not even the wise rulers of the age. They don't know it because God hasn't shown it to them. It hasn't been revealed to them. In fact, he even says in verse 9 that no human heart can even imagine this message. But he starts the section out by saying this, God has revealed this gospel message to those of you who are Christians. He didn't reveal the gospel to you because you were a Christian. He revealed the gospel to you to make you a Christian. That's what he's telling them. He's saying, None of you were followers of Jesus. None of you understood the mysteries of God. None of you understood salvation. 
but then God showed it to you so that you would be saved. God brought this message to you that said, Jesus Christ, God, very God, came to earth, taking on human flesh, the very thing we celebrate on Christmas. And that his birth, in his coming, he was born to die, to die for your sins, to take your place on the cross, to bear the weight of your sins, to take the punishment that our sins deserved, to die and then rise again, and everyone who believes in him would be saved. Paul is saying, you didn't believe that message at all. You thought it was foolishness. In fact, you couldn't really understand the beauty of that message until God revealed it to you. So he begins by saying, God reveals the gospel to us, but he doesn't reveal it to us in the sense that he makes us aware of something we didn't know, though that sometimes happens. He revealed it to us in the sense that he makes, he gives us eyes to see something as beautiful that we once saw as hideous. Because in the city of Corinth, the gospel message of Jesus, that you could be saved from your sins only through Jesus Christ, a Jewish man who died on a cross, was foolishness. It wasn't that people were ignorant of hearing those words about Jesus or knowing about who Jesus was, though some of them for sure didn't know. But when it says that God revealed this message to you, what he's more saying is he gave you eyes to see it as beautiful. The very thing you used to think was hideous. Now, last Christmas, my youngest daughter, uh, who's now two, she was one last Christmas. And uh, we, as a family, we went to uh, get a Christmas tree. And we brought the Christmas tree home, you know, tied it to the top of the, top of the van. And when we got home, we put her down for a nap. When she was sleeping, we set up the Christmas tree. Like the whole house got set up for Christmas while she was sleeping. So she woke up and came out inside into a winter wonderland. And she saw this massive tree that belongs outside, by the way, in our living room. And she freaked out. Like she was so, she was so scared. And it was actually, it was actually kind of cute because she would grab, she grabbed like a kitchen towel uh, out of the kitchen and like went over into the corner of, of, the, of the house and put this kitchen towel over her head and just to hide from the Christmas tree. And this poor girl, like everywhere we would go, she's seen Christmas trees everywhere and it's just terrifying her. You know, she would, she would, we would go over to people's houses who would not only have a giant Christmas tree, but then like little mini Christmas tree decorations everywhere. And it's just like everywhere she turned, there's a Christmas tree and she's so afraid. But now that she's two, a year later, when the same thing happened, she went down for a nap, we set up the Christmas tree and she came out and what'd she do this year? She ran right towards the Christmas tree, touching all of the ornaments, laughing, giggling, talking about the lights. Well, what changed? It's the same decorations, same Christmas tree. She changed. She changed. She's a whole year older. She's different today than she was a year ago. This is what God does in revealing the gospel. It's called, it's called regeneration is the, is the theological term. That God gives this new birth, this, this newness to us, gives us new eyes to see and appreciate and love the gospel message of Jesus. The very message that we once thought was offensive or foolish or silly, we now regard as glorious because he's changed us by revealing it to us. He has opened our eyes. And without that work, we couldn't see it. In fact, in another letter, he would write to this same group of people in 2 Corinthians. He would say this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, talking about those that don't believe this gospel message of Jesus. 
He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you this morning have come to believe in Jesus as your Savior, that has happened because of what it says right here in verse 6. In the same way in which God, when he was creating the world, said, let there be light when there was only darkness, he did that in your heart. He said, let there be light. And it says right here, he has shown in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is so important, not only in this city, but in our world today. To recognize for a, a culture and a city that was so um, focused on wisdom and achievement and status and success, much like our world today, to remind them the very reason why you believe this gospel message of Jesus is not because you're so smart. It's not because of your pedigree or your background or your giftings or whatever. It's because the God of everything shone his light into your heart and awakened your eyes to see the goodness of who Jesus is. That's what's happened. God has come alongside us now like a guide saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you see everything differently. You won't look at anything the same anymore. He comes alongside of us like a guide, teaching us and changing us, but not just through information, but through relationship. You see, God has revealed to us not just facts and information about who God is and what he's done. He's revealed to us himself. For those that believe and follow Jesus can now know him. You can actually know God. Not just know facts about him, but you can actually engage with him and know him. And to know God is to be changed by him. You can't be with him and not be changed. Many of us have friends like this, right? Those friends that are maybe just so kind or so joyful or so talented at something that like the more you hang out with them, you just can't help but be shaped by them, Right? And some of us have friends that you may be on the other side of that spectrum, right? With God, you, you, to be known by him, to be in relationship with him is to be changed by him, to be transformed by him. And one of the major ways that happens is how we think. And this is where Paul wants to take this, this church and us, I think that the Lord wants to take us this morning, is recognizing this, that because God has revealed the gospel to us, we must think differently. We must think differently. Romans chapter 12 says, do not be conformed to this world. To the way it thinks, to the way it acts, to the way it lives. Don't be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Because God has revealed the gospel to us, we must think differently. And thinking differently changes everything about our lives. A few specific ways Paul lays this out for us this morning. The first one is this. Because God's revealed the gospel to us, 
we should think differently about the gospel. Because God's revealed the gospel to us, we should actually think differently about this gospel message. You know, every single culture has gospel messages. And when I say gospel messages, I mean this, good news announcements saying, you want to have joy? Here's what you need. You want to have significance? Here's what you need. You want to have value and happiness? Here's what life is all about. Every culture has its gospel messages. It's announcements to say, this is it, folks. Orient your life around this and you will have everything you need. In Corinth, it was about wisdom. It was, you want to live the good life? Pursue knowledge. Find the best teacher and orient your life around them. Be impressive. Be elite. Find status wherever you can. True life was found in pursuing those things. And our, our culture today has all of its own ideas, right? All of its own ideas about where, where is true meaning found? Where is true value and happiness found? You know, things like, well, family is the most important thing. If you lose everything, but you have your family, you have what you need. Or just accept everyone and accept yourself. Just be you and be content being you and you will find true happiness and life and joy. Or just look out for yourself because no one else will. Or pursue what makes you happy. That's what life is truly all about. The good news is this, is just pursue what brings you joy. Just follow your heart in everything. It won't steer you wrong. Make a difference in the world. Leave it a better place than you found it. Or just find that person and, and get married because that makes everything better. There's so many messages that our culture throws at us to say, you want to know what it's really all about? Where life is really found? It's here. But because God's revealed the gospel to us, we are to think differently about the gospel. To recognize that in fact, none of those are good news. In fact, ultimately, all of those are just shouting at us to do more, try harder but we've been called to think differently about the gospel, primarily meaning this, we believe the gospel. Because God's revealed it to us, we believe it. We actually entrust our whole selves and our whole lives to this gospel message. To recognize this, it's not a wisdom of this age, but it's a wisdom from before the ages. Look at what he says in verse 7. He's saying this gospel is true wisdom, right? We're bringing you the gospel that we are imparting wisdom to you. In verse seven, which God decreed before the ages. This message, this wisdom, this message of where true life and hope and joy is found is a wisdom that does not come from any age in human history. It does not belong to a people group. It does not belong to a period of time. It doesn't belong to a group of rulers or a movement. It belongs to God and it was decreed by him since before there were any ages, which means it's not subject to any value system. It's not subject to a certain people group or culture saying, no, this is true or this is not true. It's subject to God and he's eternal. He's from before the ages. He was there when there was no ages. This was God's decree. 
In fact, not only is it not subject to any ages, it finds itself to be in tension with every age. Because it's this really backwards message that says salvation is found in a crucified man. Life comes through death. Glory comes through suffering. That rubs up against every age. To say that sounds like foolishness. To find glory means no suffering. To find life is to be the furthest thing away from death. But we believe this gospel message and recognize that the only proper response to it is to throw our whole life and our whole trust upon Christ and Christ alone. To recognize there is only one gospel message and it's this, Jesus Christ came to die in our place for those who believe. And everyone who believes will be saved. Not only saved from our sins, but we will find abundant life in Christ. All of the joy we would want, all of the meaning we crave, all of the satisfaction we want, all of the value, all of the purpose, all of the acceptance, everything is found in Christ and Christ alone. That there's only one gospel message, only one message of salvation, only one message of hope for us and for the world. Only one message of purpose and freedom. So because it's been revealed to us, we think differently about it, meaning primarily we believe it, but also this, we enjoy the gospel. We enjoy the gospel. Now, it's not just a message about going to heaven. It's something we get to enjoy today. Look at what some of the things he says about this message, verse nine. He says to us that it's better than we can possibly imagine. He says, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. In the sending of Jesus, God is unfolding this plan that he decreed before the ages for the good of those who love him. And he says it's so good, not one single person could have possibly imagined how good it is. No one has seen it, no one has heard it. No heart of man could have thought this up, the things God has planned. And guess what? He had a lot of time to plan because he's eternal. He's always existed. It says this also in verse 7, that this message God decreed before the ages was for a specific purpose. It says it was for our glory. Now, we're not used to that language. If you go, if you go to church or you grow up in church, we're, we're trained very meticulously to say, no, 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 it's for God's glory. And it is. Everything is for the glory of God. That's why everything exists. But he tells us very clearly here that this gospel message, that God's sending Jesus to save those who believe from their sins was a message planned by God beforehand for our glory. For our glory. And glory is the opposite of shame. He planned this message so that he might remove our shame from our sins. That we might not walk around life defined by our mistakes, by our sins, by our failures, by our rebellion, by the labels that people put on us and we put on ourselves. That he would remove that shame and take it upon himself and give us his glory and who he would tell us is the Lord of glory. The Lord of glory planned a message to save you for your glory. Which means he's giving you his. He's giving you his. If we could see 
the reception that we would get when we meet Jesus, for those who believe, it would make us uncomfortable today. It would feel like, no, 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 that's too much. I don't feel like I deserve that. And we don't. But it's the glory of this message. That God would take those that don't deserve and he would make them co-heirs with Christ. So we enjoy this gospel because we know it will never disappoint. Ever. If you bank everything you have on this message, it will never disappoint you. Our human nature tells us, don't trust that. Human nature says, brace Brace for disappointment. Brace to be let down, right? Even the best things of life, we, we say things like, well, enjoy it while it lasts. Don't get your hopes up. But the scriptures are inviting us over and over and over again. Give your hopes up to Jesus. Throw it all on him. He's never gonna disappoint you. This message is true. It's never gonna let you down. We enjoy the gospel, but we also do this. We plunge the gospel. We plunge the depths of it again and again and again. You see, we'll see this in the next chapter, but the Corinthians were calling this message that Paul was preaching them, they were calling it milk. They were like, Paul, this message you keep giving us about this crucified Jesus, we believe it. We, got, we heard that from you. That's, that's, the, that's the elementary stuff. That's the milk. Give us the meat and potatoes. All right? Give us some, some like protein. All right? We're ready to move on to something more substantial. Give us the, the, the true depths of the wisdom of God. Impress us. Give us deeper and greater things. They were calling this message milk, which is very ironic. Because by calling it milk, they're recognizing that they've just, they, don't, don't, they don't really know anything about it. Because the gospel isn't milk, the gospel's the whole diet. It's just, we just plunge deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into it and find the wisdom and the riches of God are found more and more in this gospel message. But they're calling it milk. It's like, we're ready for the, we're the new stuff. And this is very much around today where you will hear people say things, I got the gospel, let's move on. Let's move on to deeper and better things. More, you know, substantial things. More things that are for the mature. And to say that is to confess that you don't really know the gospel. It is an unfathomable reality, meaning you cannot measure how deep it is. We're called to plunge it. The gospel's not just the diving board, it's the whole pool. And we're invited to swim in it, immerse ourselves in it for the rest of our life. Which means we're called to search the scriptures and see it and revel in it and read good theology and seek Jesus and Wonder at the gospel because the more we see of it, the more we see of Christ. And we'll enjoy him more and more and more. We cannot fathom how unsearchable this gospel is. The best comparison our human brains can think of is the biggest thing our mind can imagine, which is space. Okay, I don't know if you've ever spent any time looking up how big space is, but you you literally just end up getting to a point where you're like, this is stupid, I can't understand this. And you just give up because it's so big. It's so big, okay? I, they measure things in space based off of light years, okay? I didn't really know exactly what a light year was. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Uh, I know it has something to do with how fast light travels, but that doesn't really mean anything to me. So I had to look it up, 
okay? Uh, a light year is how far light travels in a year, right? Okay, and light travels this fast. Are you ready? I had to write this down. 186,000 miles every second. That's, I mean, I don't understand that, okay? So, but understanding, understanding that for a second, just track with me here, okay? So if, if, if light is going to travel from the earth to the farthest thing in our solar system, Pluto, rest in peace, no longer a planet, <laughs> right? If it's going to get to Pluto, light is going to take four and a half hours to get to Pluto. You're like, okay, that doesn't sound like that long, right? Okay. It's going to take four and a half hours to get to Pluto. But in order for light to cross our whole galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, it's going to take 200,000 years. 200,000 years for light, which travels very fast, scientific term, 200,000 years to go across our galaxy. That's a long time. Okay? Our, the next major galaxy next to ours is 2.5 million more light years away. Are you comprehending these numbers? <laughs> 2.5 million more years for light to travel to the next major galaxy. And we estimate now today that there are 2 trillion of those galaxies in the, wait for it, observable universe. Meaning there could be infinitely more that we just cannot observe. You start thinking about space, it makes you scared. I'm like, this is so big and we are so tiny. But guess what? God made that. He, ma he made that. How much more unsearchable, unmeasurable, unfathomable is God? If that is something he made, This is the beauty of the gospel is that we get to know him. It's what makes it possible for us to be in relationship with him. Romans 11 says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Friends, we could spend an eternity traversing through the fields of the gospel and never go beyond the outskirts. We could spend an eternity plunging the ocean of the gospel and never really leave the surface. We could spend an eternity scaling the mountain of the gospel and never reach farther than the foothills. We could spend thousands upon thousands of eternities, whatever that even means, exploring every corner of the observable universe of the gospel. And we would, we would never even make a dent because of how rich the depth of the wisdom and the knowledge and the glory of God found in this gospel message. So much so, the book of 1 Peter tells us that angels are currently longing to look into these things. Angels who see God in all of his glory wonder and marvel 
at this gospel message, that God would send his only son to die for us. This gospel is worthy of being plunged, of never moving on from, of not simply calling it milk. You know, the elementary food for babies. No. It is the glory of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. And it draws out our affections. It's worth giving everything to. Is the gospel just a message to you or is it the message? Because God's revealed the gospel to us, we've seen it, we should think differently about the gospel. We should also think differently about our strength. Because God's revealed the gospel to us, we should think differently about our strength. You see, American cultural identity centers on strength, right? It centers on power, strength, chest out, head held high, independence. I don't need anything. I will provide for myself. I will show you my strength and then I will be somebody. Corinth was like that too. It was all about strength, power, wisdom, we're called to think differently about our strength. Well, in what ways? First one is this, that true strength is not found in being natural, but in being spiritual. This is what he's talking about here. He's comparing two types of people. He's comparing spiritual people and natural people. These are the two groups Paul is saying. Those that are spiritual are those that believe in Jesus and have been given the Holy Spirit of God. And those that are natural do not. They are only relying on themselves. Truth strength is found in not being natural, but being spiritual. But everything in our world tells us that all natural is the best, right? Just go to the grocery store, look around. The all natural labels get bought the most. The things that tell you, oh, we, we added nothing else to this. We just left it exactly as it is, which is not really what that means, but you know, you know better, right? We, we come to think the same thing about ourselves, that, right? I have everything I need right here, all natural, all the giftings and strengths that I need, I just have within me. Right? It's what every Disney movie preaches to us. You have all you need. Right? Frozen. The whole time she, Elsa's been looking for who? Herself. <laughs> this message of like, find yourself. Trust your heart. You are what you need most. That's, that's not true. But that's what we're told. That's what our culture tells us to believe. But the gospel teaches us this, that to be natural is to only be filled with yourself, which is ultimately not enough. Ultimately, it's corrupting. But to be spiritual is to be filled with something foreign, something different that's not natural to you. To be spiritual is to be filled with the Spirit of God. And there's a big difference. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are folly to him. In fact, he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural person can't understand the gospel or the things of God because no one can just simply through natural means. We need something foreign to come in and help us, the Spirit of God, which is what he says in verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. But just being spiritual doesn't make you elite. 
You see, this is what, this is what the people in Corinth did. They said, this is how we used to think, okay? We competed for strength and status and all that. And now that we became Christians, well, now we just have a different status that we can compete with. We're now spiritual. And let's now be spiritually elite. The more spiritual we are, the more elite we are. That's why later in the book, we start seeing this, this comparing and competing between different spiritual gifts. We have, oh, I have more of a measure of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I am more elite than you. Well, what Paul's saying is that because God's revealed the gospel to us, we have to think differently about strength. To be spiritual doesn't make you elite. It makes you dependent. It makes you dependent on the Holy Spirit. You see, even in our culture today, there's, you know, there's, there's kind of this, this pride to saying, oh, I'm spiritual, right? That, 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 that makes you somehow in some ways better than others, right? You, you think about things that others don't. You, you have, you're in touch with something spiritual and ethereal. But what Paul's saying is here is to be spiritual is to be dependent. Is to be dependent on the Holy Spirit of God for everything. Saying when you're spiritual, you recognize that if you didn't have the Spirit, you'd be lost. I've had the opportunity a few times to to be in a context where I don't speak the local language of a country and I'm with somebody who's a translator. Some of you probably experienced this before uh, in different cultures. Every time I've had that happen, I am so dependent on that translator because I know no matter where I go and who I talk to, I won't understand a thing unless I am right next to this person. And no one else will understand anything I say unless I'm right next to this person. I need that translator like as if my life depends on it. I am lost without this translator. That is the perspective of what it means to be spiritual, to be dependent on the Holy Spirit of God to where if he is not with you, if he is not helping you, you are lost. You have no hope. You cannot understand the things of God. It's to be dependent for everything. First off, and primarily for our salvation. This is what Paul's been saying. You can't understand the things of God unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. You are dependent on him for salvation. You are also dependent on him once you're saved to understand more and more of the things of God. All right, look at what it says in verse 12. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we might understand the things freely given us by God. One of the reasons we have the Holy Spirit is to help us understand the things of God. Continually. To see more and more of him. Because we can know nothing of God unless God shows it to us. God's self-disclosure. You know, there's not a single thing we know about God that he doesn't want us to know. We can't know anything about him unless he decides, here it is. Because of who he is. So without the Holy Spirit, you can't know anything about who God is. But with him, you can know him more and more and more. So much so that I, I see this all the time in my own life and the lives of many of you in this church. There are things about God, doctrines about God that you used to hate and that now you love because the Holy Spirit has walked with you and shown you the beauty. I know some in here that have been afraid and fearful of the sovereignty of God that he is in control of all things, thinking, well, what, what might that mean for the hard things in my life? 
that now as you've walked with the Lord and the Holy Spirit has shown you from the scriptures, you've come to see the beauty of that truth. You wouldn't want it any other way. That wasn't because you were so smart to figure it out. It's because the Holy Spirit of God helped you see. And he's committed to this. It's what it means to be spiritual, to be dependent on him. And to be dependent on him in, in our proclaiming of the gospel message as well. Look what it says in verse 13. It says, this very message that I'm trying to not only believe for myself, but impart to you, I impart it in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths or explaining spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Meaning, the only way that I teach you these spiritual things is through means of the Spirit. The Spirit has to be at work in all of these things or no one understands. The truth is we don't really have strength. In fact, to be spiritual is to be dependent and to be weak. But when we are weak, he is strong. We think totally differently about strength. But maybe for some of us this morning, we've just been thinking, eh, that Holy Spirit, I don't know. I don't think I really need him. Do you still believe you need the Holy Spirit of God? If he left you, do you think anything would change about your life? If you were honest, you don't have to tell me the answer to that question. You could just think about it. If he left you right now, would anything change? It would for sure. But many of us aren't really realizing how much we need him. The gospel changes how we think about strength. It also changes, lastly, how we think about our decisions. Because God's revealed the gospel to us, we should think differently about our decisions. How do we tend to think about our decisions? Well, we usually have a set of questions we filter through. The first one, and primarily, probably is this, how much does it cost? Whatever decision I got to make, how much does it cost? Is it what I want? Is it going to be difficult? Is it worth it? How does it make me feel? And how does it make me look? These are the ways we usually make decisions in our lives. But Paul's telling us here that because we have the gospel, our minds have been changed. The way we discern things has changed. Look what he says in verse 15 and 16. The spiritual person, meaning the person who has the Holy Spirit and is dependent on him, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Here's what this means. It means the person that believes the gospel, because they have the Holy Spirit, you are able to discern Gospel truth from error. True gospel from false gospel. Wisdom of God, foolishness. The natural man, what he's saying, does not stand in judgment over the spiritual man. Not because the spiritual man's better. Because the spiritual man has the Holy Spirit. The natural man doesn't understand those things, so how in the world could he stand in judgment over him? It doesn't mean that no one can call you out on anything. That's not what this is saying. But it's saying that when you have the Holy Spirit, you have a different filter for how you see things and judge them in, in everything. 
It gives us a brand new framework for evaluating decisions to where we see Jesus and his gospel as literally the most important and central thing ever. To recognize if God has done this for me, how could I not center my life on him? How in the world could I ever make everything about me and how I feel and what it costs me and whether it's worth it for me and what it says about me? If this is who he is and what he's done, I can't make my decisions like that anymore. We've been given the mind of Christ. And what did Jesus do when he was here often, all the time? He withdrew to pray. He withdrew to be alone with his father. He would seek his father's will all the time. He would know the scriptures and read the scriptures. He would pray to God. He would pray to his father saying, not my will be done, but your will be done. We've been given that mind. Not through our own earning and our own effort, but because the Holy Spirit now dwells within us. We've been given the mind of Christ to think like he does. Where we now have a new set of questions to filter decisions through, to say things like, well, is this going to be in step with the gospel? Is this going to be in step with being dependent on the spirit? Is this going to be in step with Christ exalting self-sacrificial love? Is this going to be in step with what God wants for me? In all of our decisions. Our decisions of direction in the Lord's will. Right? Like whether I should pursue this career opportunity. Whether I should be dating this person or be dating at all. Whether I should use my money in this way. Whether I should go to this church. What I should say to this person. Or our decisions about just who we are, where, where we're going to invest ourselves and find our value. Or just, just matters of obedience. How are we going to live? Are we going to be honest about what, what's really going on in our lives? Are we going to confess our sins to each other and be real? How are we going to decide to use our speech and our words? How are we going to decide to use our bodies? Every decision is now filtered through something totally different if you're a follower of Jesus. Because he's revealed the gospel to you, you think differently about all of your decisions. You discern them now with the mind of Christ. Not just thinking about you and how it makes you look, how it makes you feel, what it costs you, but whether it's in line with the scriptures, whether it's in line with what God has for you. I think some of us, if we're honest this morning, our decisions don't look all that different than the natural man. And so Paul's reminding us, God has revealed the gospel to you. Because he's done that, we must think differently about everything. You know, I, I kind of bashed on Disney movies a little bit more than I planned today. But there is a Disney movie I really resonate with. Um, kind of become a joke in our family. Uh, I love Moana. If you've seen the Moana movie, it's a story of of a, of a young girl who lives on an island with her family and the island is in great peril and it's, uh, it's soon going to be destroyed. And so the ocean chooses this young girl to save the island. And all throughout this movie, this, this young girl, her name is Moana, uh, she is reminding herself over and over, the ocean chose you. 
And there's, there's moments in this movie where she stops and she says it to herself and she's kind of pondering like, why? And it's like the clarity she needs. She says like, the ocean chose you. And I was watching this, uh, we were actually watching this movie yesterday. Uh, and I was watching this thinking, man, that is bringing her so much comfort. It's, it's changing everything about this whole movie. Her reminding herself that the ocean chose her to save the island. And as we came to this passage today, I'm like, yeah, God chose you. God chose you. He's chosen to reveal this most glorious mystery to his people. If you are here this morning and you believe in Jesus, it's because he chose you. He chose to reveal this to you. It was not an accident. It was not just a a result of the natural order. It wasn't just dumb luck. It was that he's chosen to send his Holy Spirit to open your eyes, that you might repent and believe and be transformed. And some of you, maybe he's doing that for the first time right now, today. He's opening your eyes to see the beauty of this. And when you know that he's chosen you, it changes everything. It changes everything, right? Everything about our lives, how we think. In those moments where we feel like we're overlooked by everyone else in the world, we know God chose me. In those moments when we feel like we are lacking significance, like the thing we're doing just ultimately just feels like it doesn't matter, we know God chose me. In those moments when we're afraid, we don't know what to do, where to turn, we know God chose me. Or even those moments where we're filled with pride and frustration with others, we're humbled that God chose me. But all throughout this movie, Moana's trying to figure out why. Why did the ocean choose me? And ultimately, this movie is all about, well, there's something in you, Moana, that's the reason the ocean chose you. And you might be wondering this morning, well, why? Why? Why would God choose to reveal this to me? And the truth is, the answer is that it has nothing to do with anything inside of you. God has chosen to reveal this mystery to some, and guess what? He doesn't tell us why. But I actually think that that's the most, one of the most beautiful parts. It's because the truth is there's nothing in us that God looked down and said, ooh, yeah, 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 that one. Look at what they got inside of them. No. The reason God chooses any is because of something in him. We don't know what it is. But we know that there is something within the heart of God that is so pleased to reveal this gospel to you that he planned to do it from before the ages. That shows me there is something about the heart and the depth of this God that is so unsearchable and so deep. I want to know more and more and more of who he is. That there would be something in him that so pleased him to reveal this to me. I want to know him. I want him to transform everything about me. That God is worth changing everything about how I think about everything for. Amen? Let's pray together.